welcome to Lifeology. I am James Miller, your host and a licensed psychotherapist. I'm looking forward to spending this time with you as we learn some pretty amazing life lessons. Let's get started. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to listen to this show. When you're done listening, I hope you take a minute and write a quick review on whichever radio or podcast platform you've heard this show. Your insights will help others to be inspired and encouraged. I have a great show for you today. I'll show you how to avoid self-sabotage. I'll also be interviewing Dr. Glenn Livingston, who reviews his number one Amazon bestseller, Never Binge Again. This book is exactly what you need to help you immediately stop binge eating. Because you are a listener of Lifeology, Dr. Livingston is giving you this book for free. Simply go to neverbingeagain.com. I highly endorse this book and the work that Dr. Livingston is doing. Once again, go to neverbingeagain.com to receive your free copy. Thank you so much for listening to Lifeology. I would love to connect with you. Be sure to follow me on all social media platforms under the name James Miller Lifeology, except for Twitter, which is James M Lifeology. I am also very active on Instagram and create many videos with quick tips and tools that you can immediately implement. Be sure to say hello and follow me there. If you're anything like me, you'll love to read. Lifeology and Audible.com have partnered to offer you an incredible opportunity. Audible is offering you one free book download with a free 30-day trial. This is perfect for those of you who love to read but often don't have time to enjoy your favorite pastime. Go to jamesmillerlifeology.com forward slash audible to start your free trial. They have over 180,000 books from all genres, so I'm pretty confident your favorite author's books will be there. Go to jamesmillerlifeology.com forward slash audible and start listening to your favorite book today. Once again, go to jamesmillerlifeology.com forward slash audible to get started today. Avoiding self-sabotage. We all want to make healthy changes, but unfortunately our subconscious can sabotage us. When we've created a habit, it's often difficult to stop that habit. Change takes energy and work. The majority of us are so used to our previous habit that we will engage in that same habit without even realizing it. So when you're trying to make a change, if you're not consciously and proactively focusing on that change, either the change in the behavior or change in your thought, you will default back to that previous behavior. The way we're wired is our body will automatically revert to the least amount of energy output. For example, if you've had a long day of work and your goal is to go to the gym, if you come home and sit on the couch, your body will want to maintain that. So to get up, put your gym clothes on and go to the gym takes a lot of work. And if your previous habit was to stay on the couch and binge TV, well then it will choose to do that. We often don't realize that self-sabotage happens as quickly as three seconds. I developed the three second rule, which basically says, if you don't commit to doing something new within three seconds, you will automatically revert back to the previous behavior. So thinking of that gym goal you have, if you have an ambitious goal to get up at 5 a.m. in the morning and go to the gym, the alarm goes off at 5 a.m. If you have not committed to get up right at 5 a.m. and you think about rolling over and going to sleep, you will more than likely roll over and go back to sleep. You can justify it by saying, I'll go to the gym on my lunch break. Just before your lunch, you think about how sweaty you're going to get and the idea of having to take a shower at the gym isn't something you want to do. Well, then you'll justify it and say, well, I'll go after work. Well, just before work is out, your friends ask you if you want to go to happy hour. 
That sounds much more accommodating and has less work to do if you were to go with your friends. So then you tell yourself, okay, tomorrow's a new day, 5 a.m., I'm going to get up and go to the gym. The next day, 5 a.m. rolls around, you roll over and go back to sleep. That process continues. In order to avoid self-sabotage, you have to prepare before you're supposed to do something. So in that situation, you would have your alarm far away from your bed. You would have your gym clothes already ready, your coffee maker already programmed to have your coffee ready for you. So as soon as the alarm goes off, you have to get out of bed, your clothes are there, you put them on, and you immediately go. That is a way to avoid self-sabotage. Think about the goals you have. When you want to make a change, how have you planned to avoid that pitfall? What physical behaviors have you done? What have you done in your thoughts to remind yourself to be able to be successful? If you know that driving home, your favorite fast food place is on the way home, well, perhaps the proactive thing to do is drive a different way home. When you can remove the pitfalls or the opportunity, as well as the justifications of why you shouldn't do something healthy, and you'll start later, you'll find that you do start to avoid self-sabotage. So remember, self-sabotage happens as quickly as three seconds. If you don't prepare for how to be successful with the new habit you're trying to implement, unfortunately, you will default to your previous behavior. You're going to hear a fantastic interview with Dr. Glenn Livingston. He gives you specific tools of how to never binge again. And as you implement this three-second rule with his concept, you'll find that you can quickly change your previous unhealthy behaviors. I wanted to take just a quick moment to thank you all who continually support and listen to James Miller Lifeology. I have been so blessed and honored by your continual support. However, I want to make sure that you don't miss out on anything exciting that's happening over here. So go to jamesmillerlifeology.com or lifeology.tv and sign up for the free weekly recap. Each week, I will send you an email which has all the latest radio episodes, YouTube episodes, magazine articles, and self-help products specifically for you. Once again, go to jamesmillerlifeology.com or lifeology.tv and sign up for the free weekly recap. My guest today is my dear friend and psychologist, Dr. Glenn Livingston, who is a longtime CEO of a multi-million dollar consulting firm that has serviced several Fortune 500 clients in the food industry. Disillusioned by what traditional psychology had to offer overweight and or food-obsessed individuals, Glenn spent several decades researching the nature of binging and overeating via work with his own patients and a self-funded research program with more than 40,000 participants. His Amazon bestseller book, Never Binge Again, will in fact help you to never binge again. Welcome to my show, Dr. Livingston. Thank you so much for having me, and please call me Glenn. <laughs> I will. My listeners may or may not know this, but Glenn has been on my show, I think, three times now, so this will be his fourth time. It's always a pleasure to have him come on and share his wisdom and expertise. It's always a pleasure to be here. Thank you. <laughs> You're most welcome. So I want to get a little bit of your backstory for those people who haven't yet heard it. So how did you come into, the? I guess, become the expert for binging? I never intended to do that. <laughs> I, <laughs> I had a problem myself. I, uh -huh. I was a child and family psychologist. I was working with um, you know, couples after uh, an affair, and then I would help with all the after effects in the family. And I had a great deal of difficulty controlling my own food. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when I was young, I'm 6'4", I'm reasonably muscular, and I figured out that if it worked out for two or three hours a day, I could eat whatever I wanted to. Yeah. 
you know, double pizzas, boxes of muffins, boxes of donuts. If you, if I you still try that today, <laughs> it doesn't work. <laughs> I would say if you happen to stop at a Seven Eleven and they were out of pizza and pop tarts, I was probably there before you. Um, That's funny. I, I couldn't do that forever because I, you know, I got married and I went to graduate school and I was commuting for hours each way, and I had patients and books to read and I was running a business and there was a period I couldn't even work out more than a half hour a week or mm, so. Wow. And the problem was the food obsession still was with me. I couldn't stop thinking about it. I'd be sitting with a suicidal patient and thinking, when can I get to the deli? And that always bothered me because I'm a, I always wanted to be a great psychologist first and foremost. And I, you know, came from a family of 17 therapists and. Oh my gosh. Oh yeah. The, the standing joke is if something breaks in the house, everybody knows how to ask it, how it feels, but nobody knows how to fix it. <laughs> That's funny. I knew you came from a long line, but I didn't realize there's that many people. That's so oh, funny. Oh, God, yeah. My mom, <laughs> wow. my dad, my sister, her husband, my stepdad, my stepdad. I can go on and on. Wow. So if you've got a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And mm -hmm. I figured the reason I must have this food obsession is because there's a hole in my heart. Mm. And if I could fill the hole in my heart, then perhaps I could stop trying to fill the hole in my stomach. Mm-hmm. And so I went to every psychologist you could imagine and um, nutrition experts. I went to Overeaters Anonymous. I went to a psychiatrist and took some medication for a while. And it was a very soulful journey, which I don't regret doing. Mm -hmm. um, and has a big impact on who I am today and some spiritual aspects of that. But it didn't really fix the problem. I mean, it would get better for a little bit and then it would get a lot worse. Mm -hmm. And it all kind of came to a head through a combination of things. Uh, part of it was consulting for big food in the, in the food industry and big advertising and seeing how the hyper palatable concentrations of starch and sugar and fat and oil and excitotoxins were being marketed and engineered to, to hit our bliss points without you know, giving us the nutrition to feel satisfied. And that, mm, yeah. that was an external force that didn't have anything to do with my mama not loving me enough, right? Mm -hmm. um, I saw how the advertising industry specialized in making us believe we couldn't live without this stuff. Um, I know there are five to 7,000 messages a year beamed at us through the internet and the airwaves and how many of them are really about eating more fruits and vegetables. That's a good point. <laughs> right? That's a very good right? point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and then I, I did this study um, I, I got paid to do these big studies for corporations, and so I know how to do them. And I organized this study for myself, and I had over 40,000 people over the course of many years when the internet clicks were cheap. I had them take a study on the things that stressed them, hmm. areas of life that stressed them, and the foods that they had trouble um, controlling once they started eating it. And I found three broad categories of results. Okay. People who struggled with chocolate, and I, I was always someone who started my binges with chocolate. People like me, we tended to be a little more lonely or depressed and having trouble in our love lives. Um, people who struggled with salty, crunchy things, they tended to be more stressed at work. Mm -hmm. And people who struggled with uh, soft, chewy, starchy things like bread and bagels and pasta or pretzels, they or you know, chewy pretzels, they tended to be more stressed at home. And I thought, let me go ask my mom, who is not only my mom um, who raised me, but is also a psychotherapist. And I, I said, Mom, I really struggle with chocolate. My binges always start with chocolate. They proceed to 
pizza and pasta and everything else that's not nailed down, but they always start with chocolate. Why would I rent the chocolate when I feel depressed or lonely? I mean, yeah, I'm in a bad marriage and, you know, I know I have some things to work out, but why, mm -hmm. why, would I, why would I do that? And she gets this horrible sound in her voice and she says, I'm so sorry, honey. Oh. And I said, mom, look, you know, whatever it is, it's 40 years ago, 45 years ago. I don't care. I'm just trying to figure it out. You know, I love you. I forgive you. And she says, I'm so sorry. But when you were one year old and your dad was a captain in the army, they were talking about sending him to Vietnam. And I was terrified. We were trying to have your sister then. I thought I'm going to be a mother of two small kids and I'm going to be an army widow. And how am I going to take care of myself? Mm -hmm. And I'm really missing them. And I was terrified. And at the same time, my, my grandfather, her dad, had just gotten out of prison and mom said she was really depressed and lonely herself and anxious about things. So she apparently, when I would be coming to, you know, um, you know, be fed or to played with or, you know, for a hug or some love, she didn't have the wherewithal to give it to me all the time. So she kept a big bottle of chocolate Bosco syrup in a refrigerator on the floor. And she'd say, honey, go get your Bosco. And I'd go running over to the refrigerator. I'd open it up. I'd suck on the bottle and I'd go into a chocolate sugar coma. <laughs> right? And so, James, if this was a movie or a TV show, which I know you have one coming out soon, which is true. <laughs> <laughs> but if it was a movie or a TV show, then mom and I would have a big cry and a big hug mm -hmm. and forgive each other. And I'd never have chocolate again. Yes. Right? Never... And, you know, we did have a metaphorical hug and a cry. It was over the phone. And... I actually did forgive myself in a lot of ways and I learned a lot about her and forgave her. Mm -hmm, of course. So it was a soulful thing to do, but my chocolate eating got worse. So and even with that information, it didn't necessarily change it. It was just information to have. It, it, it changed it for the worse, actually. It was just information to have, but it changed it for the worse because there was this little voice in my head that said something like, hey, Glenn, you know what? Your mama, your mama didn't love us enough, and she left a great big chocolate-sized hole in her heart. Ah. And until you can fix your life and you know get out of the marriage and find the love of your life, then we're going to have to keep on binging on chocolate. Let's go let's get some more right now. And that clued me into the fact that maybe there were really two different parts of my brain. Mm -hmm. There was, you know, there was the emotional part, and if you think of an emotion like a, like a fire, you could have a roaring fire in a fireplace in the middle of your living room and it becomes the center of hearth and home and people gather around and they tell stories and they make memories and um, it's actually a very wonderful thing but if the fireplace has holes in it then that one ash can get out and burn down the whole place yeah and so i thought to myself maybe i'm better off working on the fireplace and this voice of justification which I later called my inner pig. I kind of wish I came up with another name for it. But <laughs> I, I, I was not going to publish this at all. This was really something I was trying to figure out for myself. Um, but I decided to call that my inner pig. I said, maybe that my inner pig is coming up with all these squeals that are poking holes in the fireplace. Mm -hmm. So maybe what I need to do is construct a better fireplace. And I, I started... This is really embarrassing for a sophisticated psychologist who's done all these things like I have. <laughs> but, but I, I appreciate your vulnerability, Glenn, because so many people right now can relate with the story. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you how this turns out for me in a first date sometimes. But um, so, so I, I told myself that I have this inner pig 
And in order, order for me to hear it more clearly, I'm going to make a really hard and fast, like bright line between healthy eating and unhealthy eating. And I'll just do it one thing at a time. So I started with chocolate and I said, I will never have chocolate on a weekday again. I will only ever have it on a Saturday or Sunday. And then if I heard anything in my head that suggested, gee, Glenn, you worked out hard enough. It doesn't really matter. Mm. You could have some today, even though it's Wednesday or, you know, gee, Glenn, chocolate comes from a cocoa plant and therefore it's really a vegetable. <laughs> um, I mean, anything like that. Sure. I, I would say my pig is just squealing for its slop. Chocolate is pig slop. I don't eat pig slop and mm -hmm. I don't let farm animals tell me what to do. Mm -hmm. And as ridiculous as that sounds, it, I mean, it wasn't a miracle, but it, it would wake me up at the moment of impulse or the moment of temptation. And it would give me those extra microseconds that I needed to make the right decision, or at least remember that I was a free agent to remember why I decided I wanted to become a different person with chocolate in the first place. And so it eliminated that sense of powerlessness and confusion and helplessness and the feeling of being out of control. Well, I also hear that as well as you set limits on that. So it wasn't necessarily that you couldn't have it. You created a hard and fast rule as opposed to a guideline. Yeah. Oh, and, and I decided initially that I was not going to give it up entirely. Mm -hmm. and that, that's what most of my clients do, by the way. They, they prefer to regulate things than to give moderate them up entirely. It, sure. I understand that. Because yeah. it comes from a place of you're, you are in control of it as opposed to that, quote, voice of the pig squealing and saying, you have to have this. And it, it also turns out that um, hard and fast rules are better than guidelines when it comes to food control. Because if you say, I'm going to avoid chocolate 90% of the time, that's really good in theory. But every time you're in a Starbucks in front of a chocolate bar, you have to make another decision. <laughs> and it turns out that decisions can really wear down our willpower. Mm -hmm. But if you made the decisions beforehand, then, you know, you don't have to use your willpower for that and you can use it for other things. Willpower turns out to be a, not like a genetic gift, but more like gas in the tank. And there are only so many good decisions you can make every day. Yeah. So this was eliminating a lot of the decisions that I had to make. And, um, you know, slowly but surely, I started to recognize that I had free will about this and I could make the decision. And... I played around with different types of rules and over the course of a year or two, I, I lost most of my weight. That's amazing. I, it was such a relief. I bet, I bet it was. I, I mean, I, I kept the journal for, I kept the journal for eight years about me versus my pig and all the crazy things it said. And sometimes it got me, sometimes it didn't. And how did I beat it eventually? And uh, I was never going to publish it. It was going to be this private thing. But when I was getting divorced in 2015, I was a minor part of a publishing company and the CEO wanted to publish a book to do some experiments with so we could attract better authors. And I told him about this journal I had and he says, do it. And so a couple of months later, I edited it into a book and, um, and I give it to him and he calls me back and he says, don't know it's a pig slap. I don't eat pig slap. I don't let farm animals tell me what to do. <laughs> I mean, long story short, you know, now it's a couple of years later. He's lost 96 pounds. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. It really is. That is awesome. I'm so we published it. You know, we both have a background in marketing, so we got some exposure, but it, it took off on its own accord. And now when I'm in a bookstore, once in a while, someone recognizes me, but they don't mind, know my name. <laughs> they just look at me and they point and they go, pig guy, pig guy. <laughs> I said, yes, thank you. This is the culmination of my work as a psychologist. <laughs> Now, now I get the venerable title of pig. Oh, my gosh, that's hysterical. Yeah. 
So that obviously culminated into the book, Never Binge Again, which congratulations for it being the, uh, the number one Amazon bestseller. That is phenomenal. And I, you know, in fact, I know quite a few people who have read this book, uh, people I've worked with before in my practice, and it definitely has helped them out as well. And so once again, from a personal standpoint, thank you so much for, for your work thank because you. it helps people specifically whom I know as well. Well, th- thank you so much, James. And we should have a million copies in distribution soon. So it's, yes. it's been a wild ride. That is phenomenal. When, when people read this, because it's a different approach, what, you know, the concept of um, you know, conceptualizing something or personifying something as a, a pig squeal and pig slop, if people have a different approach, how do you help them kind of use your philosophy, but perhaps use their own words to be able to understand this? Oh, well, you don't have to call it a pig. You can call it a food monster or a food mm-hmm. demon or a junkyard dog, as long as you don't think of it as a cute pet. Because see, it, it turns out that the part of your brain that responds to addiction doesn't really know love. It's, it's more of the like, feast and famine, mm-hmm. um, you know, fight or flight response. And it's, it comes from the very primitive reptilian brain. And when that part of the brain looks at something in the environment, it says, do I eat it? Do I mate with it? Or do I kill it? Eat, mate, mm-hmm. or kill. So th- this is not your inner wounded child. This is, um, it's more like a very strong biological drive that's, that's driven by an organ of the body. You think of sure. it like that. And, you know, James, if my bladder is telling me that I have to really pee right now, but I'm in the middle of a promotional podcast, I'm, um, you know, I'm not going to go. I'm going to take control and say, I understand you have this need, but this is not the particular way or time to mm-hmm. express it. And I'll figure out how to take care of it. But um, and we're going to make sure it's directed at the right thing and the right time and the right place. And I'm very comfortable having those impulses. I'm very comfortable taking charge and dominating those impulses. And it's, it's kind of the same thing. You, you think of it like this organ in your brain at the very base of your brain that generates a strong urge, which has been corrupted by industry. By the way, I don't believe we have a disease. I believe that we have healthy appetites that have been corrupted by industry. And every time you look for love at the bottom of a bag or a box or a container, there's some fat cat in a white suit with a mustache who's laughing all the mm, way to the yeah. bank, right? I really like how you, you use that or that correlation between perhaps your bladder, per se, or just the concept of it's an organ that is influencing your thoughts and in your body. And just as if the urge of one of the organs in your body is telling you to, to do something. So I really like how you remove the emotional construct of it and say this is specifically just your body influencing you. It's not something you have to do. And, and I think many people think of it in a different way. I mean, obviously, there's wonderful people out there who have different versions of this. But yours, I find it to be very powerful because it, it removes the emotional connection to something as opposed to this is an organic or part of your body is telling you to indulge. Right. I didn't have to spend 30 years figuring out why my mother left a chocolate-sized hole in mm-hmm. my heart. I, I could have just come up with one simple rule that says I, I never eat chocolate on a weekday again and then started listening very carefully for any little voice in my head that suggested that I do. And then there are a couple of things you can do when you find it. You could, um, you could refute it. So, for example, if the voice says you could just start tomorrow, it'll be just as easy to start tomorrow well, it turns out by the principle of neuroplasticity mm-hmm. that it's harder to start tomorrow <laughs> so because you will have reinforced your, you know, yes. about. Um, you could refute it, you could ignore it, um, and you could ask yourself, what's the authentic bodily need that it represents? Mm-hmm. For me personally, when I was craving chocolate, I found out that I could kill the craving. I wouldn't get the same high that you get from chocolate. I wouldn't, it wouldn't be so, oh my God, pleasurable, but I could kill the craving by having a banana kale smoothie. 
And so there was something biologically that my body needed for energy or I don't know if it's the magnesium in the kale or something like that. Um, and I, I think of that as reattaching the survival drive that was hijacked to what the body more authentically needs and, and reversing the biological error. And over the years, I, I eventually came to the point that I didn't want to have chocolate anymore at all. And over the years, the cravings went away entirely. Hmm. I, I, I can pass a chocolate bar at the supermarket now and it looks like a big bag of chemicals to me. Oh, interesting. Wow, you, you decoupled that. That's, that's phenomenal. And I think for many people hearing this right now, it's because uh, I'm sure other things in the past, I, I remember, and I probably shouldn't say this on air. I remember when I was a young boy, well, not young boy, when I was 21 years old, I had my first real taste of alcohol. And so <laughs> I indulged way too much. And so now with that particular alcohol, the thought of that, I have such an aversion towards it. Like I never want to taste that alcohol again in my life. And I think that's, in some ways, that's essentially what you did. You decoupled and experienced now, when you see something, it, it creates almost that repulsiveness or that repulsion in your brain, which says, this is something I do not want. I, I remember all the pain. And then it became unnecessary to remember all the pain because it was just something that I didn't do. Mm -hmm. I, I, the new patterns had been dug and the new grooves in my brain were all set up. And it just, um, I, I don't even think about chocolate except people ask me about it all yeah. the time. And I, I <laughs> yeah. use it as an, as an example. Yeah. Well, so. and I think a lot of people can relate to that. I know I can when it comes to chocolate. That is, uh, the more I've gotten to know you, I now re-question or now question every time I see chocolate. James, why? What's what's the purpose for this? Are you lonely? Are you brokenhearted? <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> so, well, well, but but see, the, the thing is, you you can actually stop overeating without figuring all that yeah. out. And I think that's really practical. Oh. And if you do stop overeating, you'll be more in touch with the feelings in the first place. And so your personal growth work gets supercharged. Uh, ask any therapist, would they rather have someone that's actively abusing something or someone who's clean and is present with their thoughts and feelings in order to figure out where they came from and what they want to do with yeah. them? So, um, but I'm not functioning as a therapist in this mm -hmm. capacity. I'm totally. functioning as a coach and I'm teach people a really practical method to stop overeating quick. Perfect. Well, that's a great segue into this. If my listeners want to find out more information about you to purchase this book, Never Binge Again, where will they find all this information online? Well, I'll give it to you for free as a member of James' audience. Oh. If you go to neverbingeagain.com and click on the big red button and a couple of other things that you get. Uh, when you do that, you'll get a free copy in, in uh, Kindle Nook or PDF format. The the physical copies and the audible version are available for purchase. But you'll get it free to download and you will also get a full set of recorded coaching sessions because this is all free. Because I know that you must be thinking, why does James have this doctor on that has a pig inside him and this sounds really harsh. And, um, it, it's actually a very compassionate, uh, loving way to approach yourself. And if you hear the people that I coach go from feeling hopeless and despairing and powerless over their food to feeling hopeful, enthusiastic and possible in just one session, you'll, you'll be convinced that this is a, a possibility for you. The last thing you get is a set of free food plan starter templates. Um, the, the book is diet agnostic. You use it with the diet of your choice. And so we thought through a whole bunch of combinations of food rules that would define, you know, ketogenic versus high carb versus macrobiotic versus point counting versus calorie counting and any diet you can imagine, you'll probably find something to get you started there. Um, it's all at neverbingeagain.com and you click the big red button and sign up there and you'll get it for free. Awesome. 
Well, my listeners, I definitely endorse Dr. Livingston. Like I said, the people with whom I've worked, a lot of them have implemented his tools and techniques and they've been very successful. So definitely get your free book today. Dr. Glenn Livingston, thank you so much for being a fantastic guest on my show today. I appreciate all your wisdom. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. I also want to thank you, my listener, for tuning in today. Please subscribe to this radio show through whichever portal you join me today. Also, please go to my website where you may sign up for the free weekly recap, watch my YouTube episodes, read the articles I've written specifically for you, and purchase my previous guests' self-help products. If you'd like to work with me, be a guest on or advertise on this show, visit jamesmillerlifeology.com. Be sure to follow me on all social media platforms under the name James Miller Lifeology, except for Twitter, which is James M. Lifeology. Once again, thank you so much for your support, and I'll talk to you soon.